0: Hello and welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. The topic today is verticillium stripe of canola, a disease now starting to cause yield loss for some farms on the Canadian prairies. My guest is.
1: My name is Dilantha Fernando. I'm a full professor in the Department of Plant Science in the Faculty of Agricultural and Food Sciences. I'm a plant pathologist. And I'm also the Dean of Studies at St. Paul's College at the University of Manitoba.
0: D'Alantha Fernando has been working on blackleg in canola for 22 years. When verticillium was first identified in canola in Manitoba in 2014, Fernando saw an opportunity to apply his canola disease expertise and also his earlier expertise with soil-borne diseases. He did his PhD at Oregon State University, On a soil-borne phytophthora pathogen of cowpea, a common pulse crop in tropical countries of Africa and Asia. Verticillium stripe is another soil-borne disease. For farmers not so familiar with verticillium stripe, symptoms can seem somewhat similar to other canola diseases, especially sclerotinia stem rot and blackleg. Dilantha Fernando will walk us through the origins of the disease and explain identification and management. What is the pathogen's motivation? What does it want from the canola plant?
1: So uh, the motivation is an interesting, uh, uh, interesting uh, word to use. I think um, any pathogen uh, that causes disease. Uh, is interacting with the plant for uh, its nutrients and to uh, be uh, uh, able to survive. And I think uh, that's part of the reason that uh, uh, the verticillium infects canola, and it has uh, the opportunity to uh, go through the vascular system, uh, cause disease, and then Uh, produce its inoculum, which we call the the overwintering long-term inoculum that is uh,
0: sclerosia. Where was it first detected and where did it come from?
1: The first uh, identification was in Glendley area in Manitoba uh, at a particular farm uh, that's owned by a seed company. Uh, And uh, so uh, there are different uh, thoughts that how it came to be there. Now, keep in mind that Verticillium longisporum is very well known in Europe. So, uh, the inoculum is there, the inoculum survives there. Uh, It has been, so if you are looking for studies that have been done before uh, the Canadian scientists uh, started to look into the Uh, verticillium uh, interaction in canola. Uh, Most of the publications come from Europe. Having said that, my feeling is, this is, uh, again, uh, without a test being done to prove it, is that the pathogen has been here uh, for many years. It's just that it has received an opportunity to be Uh, uh, increasingly interacting with the canola plant. Now, that could be for different reasons. It could be the opportunity coming from the environment. It can be the environmental changes. It can be the microbial changes that are happening in the soil because of different uh, practices, agronomic practices. The reason that I'm saying that it would have been here for many years is when the CFIA did uh, look into the verticillium's uh, uh, presence, they were able to find DNA. That of Verticillium longisporum in almost all the provinces that they were uh, uh, doing their tests on, which was quite uh, interesting because uh, some of these areas are not particularly uh, canola growing areas itself. And, uh, and also, if you really look at the distribution path pattern. Uh, uh, it seems like it is not something that is uh, starting from a focal point and then uh, uh, moving along. So I say that with uh, a little bit of uh, the understanding on epidemiology of soil bone pathogens. Soil bone pathogens do not move like stubble bone because they are not airborne. But having said that, these microsclerosia are very small and uh, they can uh, go with dust particles, they just like club root uh, club root uh, moves uh, through it's not a uh, it's not an airborne pathogen but it is airborne because uh, the soil particles and everything moves in the prairies and so that that can be uh, part of it it can be through machinery uh, because they are so minute the microsclerosia, the survival structures of Uh, Vertically. So there are ways that it can move uh, from uh, farm to farm, from region to region, and uh, distribute itself. easily than uh, what we would anticipate. So that's one of the reasons that uh, we are not 100% sure whether it was introduced or whether it has been there for many years and it has been identified only now. So uh, again, if I put a bet on it, I I would go more towards the, it has been there for many years and now it is uh, um, being shown to be present in different uh, regions.
0: How far has it spread now across the prairies?
1: Now, that's an excellent question. Now, when we started working on it, uh, the reports were only very uh, sparse and very much uh, confined to uh, Manitoba. Now, uh, we have isolated the pathogen from Saskatchewan. Uh, we have isolated the pathogen from uh, Alberta, uh, so uh, so as far as uh, it can go in the prairies, it has. And um, now, having said that, the uh, the species that uh, longisporum itself is. Uh, Uh, interesting because it has different lineages. It's a little difficult uh, in a podcast to explain exactly what a lineage is, but uh, uh, there are differences uh, when we talk about different lineages. What we have in Manitoba is only one lineage. A1D1, whereas in Saskatchewan we have found all three lineages that belong to Longisporum, A1D1, A1D2, and A1D3. So another interesting connotation to it: Why would uh, um, Saskatchewan have all three when it is reporting the pathogen in far less numbers than what we are uh, we are presenting or we are finding in Manitoba? One other key point that I should mention here is that a lot of pathogens thrive a lot on wetness, whereas the uh, uh, this particular pathogen is more thriving in drier conditions. So if there's a year that uh, we can think of where there was very much dry uh, summers, that was the year that would have uh, more prevalence of the pathogen and more infection through the uh, longisporum on canola, and I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, 2021 uh, or 2020, uh, where it was more drier and there was more inoculum. So, as soon as there is that opportunity, um, then the inoculum Uh, becomes far greater, far greater. Uh, And because these are these minute, small uh, microsclerosia, thousands of it found in a piece of stubble. And just imagine their survival being uh, long-term. And uh, so with that, there will be much exponentially uh, increasing the inoculum uh, in a dry uh, period. You can ask why why is it thriving in a dry year? So the pathogen seems to thrive when the plant is stressed. When the plant is stressed, the opportunity of the pathogen uh, being able to cause disease seems to be more.
0: I want to talk about symptoms. What does Verticillium do to canola? Like what would what would farmers see in an infected plant?
1: If there's anything unfortunate about it, it is the late season of the uh, uh, symptoms. Because if the symptoms are fairly early, then the chances of the uh, farmer to see that early enough to do anything is there. But if it is coming fairly late in the season, then the opportunity for that uh, is taken away from you. Uh, so what uh, you see uh, is that uh, there will be uh, inoculum, uh, uh, so the, the microsclerosia being present inside the stem. Uh, the stems are brittle. Uh, they are easy to be uh, shredded. Uh, they are uh, showing uh, symptoms of uh, discoloration. The uh, pathogen uh, can... Uh, cause the plant to wilt uh, it's so initially this was the, the the disease was called verticillium wilt and i think if i'm not mistaken still in uh, europe it is called verticillium wilt but uh, i think the canola council made the wise decision to change the name uh, to be calling it verticillium stripe disease because it's more a striping effect that we see rather than a verticillium, uh, a real uh, strong wilt. When we talk about wilt, uh, the kind of uh, plant folds up, uh, the the top part of the plant wilts, and that's very easy to identify. Uh, Whereas in uh, in the canola, uh, interaction with verticillium, you generally don't see that at the very early stages. So um, um, and that's part of the reason that it goes for a longer period before you start to see. And that's one other thing that is very interesting that I should mention. Um, when the pathogen has gone through the v- vascular system, the uh, symptoms that you see outside is uh, if you are taking one stem, the, the the one half of that side of the stem will be green, and the other side would be very brownish. So that's another indication of Verticillium stripe. Now, having said that, that symptom also represents or resembles Fusarium wilt in canola. Now, Fusarium wilt is not uh, very predominant at this stage. Uh, If you remember, in the early 2000s, verticillium, uh, sorry, fuselium became quite an important pathogen in certain regions like Darlingford in Manitoba. But um, later we found that it was only... Uh, with certain varieties that were grown at the time that the pathogen was uh, causing disease and very quickly we were able to showcase that uh, most of the varieties that we had were were uh, resistant so basically now what is fusarium wilt uh, i think is still looked at at the uh, breeding level but not particularly uh, important uh, Entity as a pathogen when it comes to uh, field level. So uh, in the other aspect of the verticillium, uh, if you cut the uh, horizontal uh, section, because you're asking uh, what the farmer would be looking into, uh, the, the farmer will see that the blackening is in the whole Uh, stem in the horizontal stem uh, uh, section that that farmer might be looking at. Whereas if you are looking at blackleg, it is more in the periphery, it is more confined. So there's a difference between the two. That's the confusion that the farmers will have, uh, whether it is black leg or verticillium. And actually the verticillium is kind of spread out, uh, that blackening is spread out, whereas in the uh, uh, black leg it is more confined.
0: Right. Like the black leg has those darker wedges often where yes. verticillium will be will be a sort of a general discoloration. Delante, what right. about what about this? Um The the verticillium goes farther up the stem than black leg.
1: So the easiest way to understand that in the principle of the disease is the way that the two pathogens infect. So uh, verticillium starts from the bottom up, right? So it goes from the root system and because it infects the, uh, it gets into the vascular system, it completely uh, would have an impact on the whole plant and the drying effect will be seeing striping would be seen in the whole plant whereas the uh, blackleg pathogens predominantly starts from the uh, uh, top part of the plant from the leaves and goes through the stem uh, to reach the uh, the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the base so uh, and also most of the varieties that we have uh, today uh, in canola are fairly resistant to either through uh, major gene resistance or quantitative resistance. Uh, they are uh, resistant to blacklick. so the pathogen may not be able to go through the whole plant and cause that kind of disease, whereas the varieties that are generally grown today in canola may be susceptible to the um, verticillium uh, in a uh, manner that it allows the pathogen to go through fairly easily. Now, there is a a proposal that we put forward for the CAP funding to screen material of uh, Uh, in a large-scale material from companies that uh, would be, uh, so, for example, for us to establish a screening nursery in Canada uh, against uh, verticillium. Uh, And just like what we have been doing for Blackleg, uh, we can have this in uh, one or two sites where uh, predominantly the, the the varieties and uh, elite germplasm is looked at to see whether how much of resistance uh, is carried uh, in the plant. Now, we have done some preliminary studies with uh, certain seed companies participating, and the good news is that we do uh, have uh, fairly good resistance in the varieties or lines. Now, what I don't know is whether they are already commercial lines or not because when the companies share their material seed, uh, we, we don't come to know that part. Uh, but uh, the, what uh, we have tested uh, has uh, fairly good resistance. So we are going to expand that with the funding uh, if we are successful in getting the CAP funding. And that would become a uh, entity for uh, the uh, any company to send in their material, uh, and then we can do the testing uh, for uh, the verticillium's resistance. So that would allow us to study that that very question that you asked and to see how far the pathogen moves uh, depending on the type of resistance that it carries.
0: I wanna go back to one other thing. You talked about the brittle, shredded-looking stems, Mm -hmm. and that people may confuse that with sclerotinia stem rot. Is there an right. easy way to tell them apart?
1: Yes. Uh, so uh, the easiest way is to open up the the uh, uh, stem and look at the uh, the size of the sclerosia. So there's a reason for uh, sclerotinia sclerosis to be called sclerosia and for verticillium sclerosia to be called micro sclerosis. They are. Very distinctly different in the size. So small that it's like a, a dot uh, of the the, the microsclerosia's uh, visibility is like a dot, whereas uh, the sclerosis that are produced by sclerotenia are like a seed right? So yeah. there's a huge difference between the two, and uh, that would be the first indicator that you're dealing with uh, sclerotinia. Uh, if you're having these large seed-like sclerosia, keep in mind that they are both the same type of inoculum. Sclerosia means a bundle of mycelia, of that fluffy thing that you grow in a petri dish that's exactly bundled up into this overwintering structure that is produced by the pathogen for survival uh, so if you are looking from a number standpoint uh, millions might be produced of verticillium microsclerosia, whereas thousands might be produced of uh, uh, sclerotinia uh, sclerosia. that's the difference
0: all right let's get on to management do we have any management tips for verticillium stripe at this time
1: so the good news is as i mentioned a few minutes uh, ago there seems to be a fair amount of uh, resistance uh, built into the variety uh, the the lines uh, that we have been testing for the last two years At this point, the management would be more towards the resistance that might be there. And some of these companies that would have participated with us in the last two years and they have the results with them, they may uh, announce that they do have resistance because we have shared that information with them. Uh, But I'm not privileged to know that uh, uh, because I don't know whether it is a variety or elite germplasm that we have been testing.
0: Anything else like rotation or or other management steps that we know? So a-
1: any in any disease, rotation does help. Uh, having said that, with microsclerosia being microsclerosia and the possibility of it surviving for long term uh, would be making it rather difficult in a. a, a rotation that we normally call a rotation, like a two-year rotation or three-year rotation, may not work in a highly infected area of uh, with verticillium. Now, also, uh, I would like to add the things that we talk about management in club root would fairly work well with verticillium as well because they are both soil-borne pathogens. They both uh, get uh, disseminated uh, to other regions or other areas in the same manner through wind, uh, dust particles, and stuff like that. So uh, machinery, all that, if there are good practices in the washing of um, the machinery, before moving into a a new uh, farm, all that would be very, very helpful at this point. Now, uh, if you start to have resistance, uh, then that's a different story because uh, if the resistance is there, some of those management strategies that I mentioned may not be that important because uh, uh, resistance would take care of it.
0: You mentioned a few of the research needs throughout, but let's let's just close with a couple minutes on on the most important next steps in in your opinion. Yeah,
1: so I think uh, resistance is one entity that in any disease, resistance uh, is I, I I would put as high priority because it comes at uh, at least no cost to the farmer in the season. Um, uh, The seed might be a little bit more expensive, I don't know how that works out, but uh, when it comes to the field, uh, you don't have to do much of the management practices that you might do, like uh, chemical application or other things, so you are more free to do what you do uh, with resistance being uh, 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 as an entity in the variety. Um, but. I think when it comes to the studies, I think there's a huge need to understand what are the epidemiological principles that uh, um, make this pathogen uh, thrive, survive, and become uh, a bigger problem. So for example, is it the, and what kind of uh, stress? So for example, we, we anecdotally say, that it is uh, when there's uh, dry conditions, when there's less of uh, moisture that the pathogen thrives, but that has to be tested more um, uh, with uh, the right type of studies. Then uh, is there an interaction with other uh, pathogens of canola? Well, so a good question to ask is is a canola variety that is now susceptible to blackleg going to be more uh, infected by verticillium. And then looking at Uh, The other question about how much of infection and yield loss would uh, verticillium cause uh, depending on the type of uh, level of resistance, not type, level of resistance that it might have. If it is moderately resistant, uh, is it the same when it comes to the yield loss uh, with a uh, resistant variety or whether that moderate resistance is uh, having the yield loss as uh, bad as the uh, susceptible variety. So, all these questions are important, and um, because the pathogen uh, and its uh, infection process is fairly new, th- those are important questions for the farmer. Now, at the biological level, there are many other studies that you can do to look at the, as I said, the lineages A1D1, A1D2, A1D3, uh, how different they are. Um, they are genomes, uh, so more getting into the genetics of the pathogen, looking at um, the intricate interactions of those uh, within the canola plant and extracting the uh, transcriptome. So we are getting more into the molecular area to understand the host pathogen interactions. And then finally, we have not discussed anything about the defense. So uh, any of these resistances are brought about by defense mechanisms, such as a certain amount of acids that are produced in the plant. Uh, Is salicylic acid produced more in a resistant plant uh, compared to a susceptible plant? Is jasmonic acid uh, uh, a big entity? And the microbiome itself, how different microbes in a Uh, niche area where uh, canola is grown uh, has a role to play in the infection process, whether it is protecting the plant or it is enhancing the pathogen to cause more disease. Because more and more we are understanding that even pathogens, either they are managed or being enhanced by the microbial populations that are within that particular soil. So going back to that very early stage point that I made, you asked the question whether uh, was it introduced or whether it has been there for years. That question too would be answered in some fashion with this type of work where you come to understand whether there have been population shifts because of the uh, uh, the agronomic practices that we are practicing today that were not in place 30 years ago. So those kind of things will be very helpful to understand the, the phenomenon of the disease uh, coming now, recurring and becoming established that was not there uh, 20 years ago or 15 years ago.
0: Thank you for all of that.
1: You're very welcome, Uh, Jay. Thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast and hopefully it will be useful um, for the farmers uh, to listen to it. Thank you.
0: Dolantha Fernando is a principal investigator for an ongoing study called Verticillium Disease, Etiology and Nursery. To find out more about this and other verticillium projects, go to the Canola Research Hub at canolaresearch.ca. Enter verticillium in the keyword search. Please also read Verticillium Stripe Identification and Management in the Diseases section at canolawatch.org slash fundamentals. Canola Watch is an agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada, with support from the three prairies-based canola grower organizations. Sass Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates throughout the growing season on pests, weather, fertilizer management, and other topics. If you are not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. Thank you very much for listening.